Acts chapter 2. We are in this beginning of the year series trying to regain God's vision for the church. And that, that's important, God's vision for the church, not uh, what, what we would envision the church to be, not the way other churches are doing it, not the way we've always done it, but God's vision for the church, what the church should look like, how the church should function, and the mission the church should accomplish. And this is our series, I've, I've entitled it, Growing as a Great Commission Community. And the emphasis there is on that word community, that God did not make us Great Commission individuals. You, Jeff, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, teaching them you know, to observe all that I've commanded. No, he, he took a group of people. He took his followers and said, you, you all, we're in the South, so y'all go make disciples. <laughs> you know, y'all baptize them and train them up. And th- there's a very real significance to that, that we are, by God's design, better together. That spirit indwelt, those who have trusted in Christ Jesus, spirit indwelt, we are better together not only for our own spiritual lives, but also for God's glory and God's gospel going to our neighborhoods, to our communities, and even to the ends of the earth. And so God has made us, a group of believers, a group of spirit-indwelt Christians, a a community. And we are, because we have been given the Great Commission from Jesus, we are a Great Commission community. But the question is, are we a healthy one or an unhealthy one? Are we a strong one or a weak one? And so we want to grow, we want to learn, we want to change, we want to follow God's vision for what our lives and our lives as a community should look like. And so what we've done last week is we sort of saw how God had had created his first church there in Acts chapter 2. Peter preaches his sermon at Pentecost and 3,000 are added that day. And so what, what we have is the freshly painted, freshly formed, rolling off the showroom floor church. This is what it's supposed to look like. This is how it's supposed to function. And this is what it is supposed to accomplish. And so we saw that they were already accomplishing the Great Commission in their day. The Lord was adding day by day those who were being saved. And by the way, I just want to remind you, just before that, there in Acts chapter 2, it says they were having favor with all the people. What that means is uh, that, that there were those who had not yet believed from the word preached, and they looked upon the community and said, there is something different. There is something beautiful, and it confirms that gospel. It commends that gospel that they're preaching. And because of that, because of the way they did community with one another, they were being added day by day, the souls who were being saved. And so what we want to do as we continue through this series is say, okay, yeah, they, they, but they lived in a different time. They lived in a different culture. They, you know, spoke a different language. They, all these different things. And that's true. There are differences between us here today and that church there in Acts chapter 2. But what we know for sure is that there are unchanging principles that must remain the same. And so that's what we are trying to do 
uh, today and in the coming weeks as we're looking for those key principles and saying, okay, how are we doing with that principle of what makes a healthy Great Commission community? And so I'll go ahead and read just the, the first verse of our passage. Yep, okay. My back one's not on there. I don't know if that can come on. It's all good. Um, I turn around a lot anyways because I can't read the back one, <laughs> my vision. All right, here is God's word. I, I, I know I'm laughing, but this is, this is God's word. Acts 2.42, this, this is what happened after 3,000 are added to the church. Acts 2.42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Those are the key aspects of the DNA of what made this a healthy, fruitful Great Commission community. And so this week we are going to focus on that first in the list. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Would you join me for just another moment to to go to the Lord for this? Because we we need His wisdom to discern these things. Father God, would you help us today as we study your word? Would you by your spirit uh, enlighten us, encourage us, and empower us to see your truth and to live in light of it, God? Lord, we do want to follow your vision for the church. We do want to be a healthy community, and we do want to be fruitful for your glory, God. Lord, help us, I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Already we're seeing something that's different, right? I, I said they had a different, they lived in a different time in a different context. One primary difference would be that we don't have the apostles today, right? Like I, I have not run into Peter or James or John lately. Like that's just not something that happens. I haven't listened to one of their sermons on the radio. Like this is just not something that we can do. And so the question is, what is the apostles' teaching? How is this a foundational, fundamental principle that we should now imitate and and, and shape our church and our community around? What is the apostles' teaching, and how should that look for us today? And this this is just so important. By the way, I do think it's important that this is the first one in the list. Like, I think this is most important fundamental. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Like, we will not be a healthy, fruitful Great Commission community without this. So what is it? Uh, What is the apostles' teaching, and how does that relate to us today? If you're following along in your notes, you can uh, fill these blanks in. Here's my answer, and I'm going to show it to you. The apostles taught God's word in relation to Christ. The apostles the, the, the apostles' teaching, well, what, what, what did their teaching consist of? Well, their teaching consisted of God's word in relation to Christ. Both are essential there. And so th- this is what I want to show you, and, and I want to show you why this is such an important distinction. Uh, if you want to kind of just scan back up in your Bible, you see uh, Peter's sermon there at Pentecost. His, his uh, sermon started there in uh, chapter 14 uh, of chapter 2. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. So that's the beginning of this Pentecost sermon, the beginning of his teaching uh, here. <clears throat> and so this will be uh, typical of the way he teaches. 
And so what I want you to notice, though, is there's a lot of quotation marks within Peter's sermon. Or, you know, in my Bible, they're, they're indented. They're sort of put into a, a more poetic form uh, within his sermon there. What is that? What are those quotations? What's he quoting? Anyone? The Old Testament. He, he, he's not quoting pop, pop culture. Uh, he, he's not quoting, uh, you know, a good book that he read. He, he is quoting God's word of old that had been uh, spoken, revealed through the, the, the prophets and, and written down. And so that's what he's doing. And I want to just show you this just so you can see that kind of the highlights here. I have no idea how that got there. Okay, the highlights there, uh, Acts 2.16, this is, this is within his sermon, he says this, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. So then he goes on to make that first quotation, obviously from, from the book of Joel in the Old Testament. Uh, Acts 2.25, this is still within the same sermon. For David says concerning him, then he goes on to quote Psalm 16. Uh, Acts 2.34, for David uh, himself says, then he quotes from Psalm 110. And so if you look at uh, Peter's sermon here, about half of it is him quoting the Old Testament. And so that's important. We see the apostles' teaching is God's word. At this point, all of God's word that they had was the Old Testament. So what is the other 50% of his sermon? He, he teaches the Old Testament and so does he then say, here are these commands from the Old Testament, now obey them. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps and become a godly person. Is that what he says? Absolutely not. The other 50%, I mean, you know, I recommend you read through this sermon when you get a chance. The other 50% of the sermon is relating the Old Testament to Christ Jesus. Showing how the Old Testament was talking about Jesus, showing how Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament, showing how Jesus is everything that they needed through God's word and relating it to, uh, sorry, you have the God's word and relating everything to Christ because Christ is the point of all of God's word. If you're just, you know, to, to read through the Bible, you make it, uh, to, to Genesis chapter 3 before you have the first explicit pointer that a Savior is coming. Genesis 3.15, it's uh, the, cur the curse on the serpent. But he's saying there will be one who crushes this serpent's head. And, and, and everything that he stands for, he will deal with this sin problem. Before that, there was no need of a Savior. There was no need of, of a Christ, uh, you might say. But you get to Genesis 3.15... And from that point on, all of the Bible is moving towards the revelation of the Messiah, of the Savior, of Christ Jesus. And so that's what the apostles witnessed, was what all the Old Testament was pointing to. That, that God the Son did become incarnate. He took on human flesh. And then he lived the perfect life. He obeyed all the Old Testament commands and laws, both the letter of the law and the heart of the law. Then this Jesus, this sinless God-man Jesus, all those commands that only condemned them, Jesus not only lived perfectly, but then he died 
to pay for their failure to obey. And, and you, you could go on so far with this, but I, I just want to make this clear. This is what was so revolutionary and so life-giving about the apostles' teaching. It's not just that they, they knew God's word and so they preached it. They related God's word to Christ Jesus, and that is what made it peculiar, made it powerful. And so I will just tell you, if, if you hear preaching and it's just the commands of God, apart from the person of Christ, it will be no help to you. The commands of God will only bring condemnation on you if there is no Christ. Even to, to read the Bible about the holiness and the glory of God is not good news without Christ. Because you recognize the holiness of God in light of our sinfulness means the holiness of God will consume us, will crush us. And you even can read the promises of God in his word. You can, you can read those, but if you read them apart from Jesus, those promises aren't for you. But you bring Jesus into the picture. Any, any, any page of God's word, any passage of God's word, you bring Jesus into that and it becomes good news. Jesus is what makes God's word good news. And this is what the apostles are teaching. They're, they're teaching the one who, yes, you have failed to obey these commands, but you can be forgiven in Christ who paid for your failures. Not only that, through this Jesus, through, through his regeneration, you can actually have the power to be broken from the chains of sin and have the power to obey these commands. Not perfectly, but with real victory. And then we see this God of holiness and God of glory and we bring Christ into the picture and we say, that's who God is for me because I have Christ. I get to come into his presence not because of myself and, and not be consumed by his holiness. I get to know this God, not because of me, but because of this Christ. And then as we know, all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. When you bring Christ into the picture, yes, all those promises are for you. They are good news. And so Christ Jesus is what makes God's word good news. Without it, it is fruitless, it is vain. In fact, I would say this, Without Christ Jesus, God's word will condemn you. It will lead you to hell. It might make you a more moral person. It might make you clean up your life a little bit. It might make you uh, feel comforted in a time of fear or something like that. But without Christ as the key, seeing all of God's word in relation to Christ and what he has accomplished on your behalf, it is vain. It can actually lead you the wrong direction. And so this is so important. I, I just, I just got to tell you, like, any, any teacher, uh, any Bible study, if, if, if they are teaching God's word but they're not teaching Christ, run. Like, I mean, you might try to help correct the situation, but if they say, no, I'm just going to teach these commands, people should get their act together and leaving Christ out of it, then, then run. It is not for you. That is not the Christian message and I would even say in your own times in God's word, in your own study of the Bible, feel free to read the Bible front to back, to study, to memorize and meditate on the Bible front to back. But don't leave Christ out of it. Don't leave Christ out of the commands. Don't leave Christ out of the, the revelation of God's glory. And don't leave Christ out of the promises. 
He is the reason all of those things are good news for you. And it is so important, so important that we find that uh, each and every time we look at God's word. And so that is, this is that fundamental aspect of, of what makes this new church a healthy, fruitful, great commission community. They were learning from God's word, God's revealed word in relation to Christ. And, and I do just want to take a second uh, before I move on to just remind you, like, it is amazing that right now in, a, in my hands, I hold God's word. This is God's word to you and to me, to all humanity, that in our brokenness, in our sin, in our troubles, in our trials, there is a God who is full of mercy and compassion and grace. He has made a way of salvation. He has made a way of healing. He has made a way of building us up to be what we were made to be through Jesus Christ. And we have that word stored up for us. I, I, I just want to say it bluntly. We are foolish not to give ourselves to the word of God, our creator, the one who fashioned us, our redeemer, the one who saved us, has spoken to us. We should listen. We should read. We should meditate. We should memorize. That is God's word, and we can see it all in relation to Christ. This is fundamental, foundational, key to being a healthy Great Commission community. Without it, you will have a weak community, best case scenario. Worst case scenario, you have a non-Christian community. You have legalists. You have those who are earning their own salvation and righteousness. Okay, so we know now what the apostles' teaching is, that, that key element. It is all of God's word in relation to Christ. But now we need to see how the believers, how that Christian community was responding to the apostles' teaching. How they were responding to God's word being taught in relation to Christ. How were they responding to that because, you know, we can relate this kind of to our day and, and, and kind of put how we see God's word responded to, how we see the teaching of God's word responded to, or, or just giving ourselves to the, the personal study of it. And, and we, we have things like, eh, I'm already saved, like I'm already in, so I don't know that I really need more. You know, like, what, what, what more do I gain, you know? Or people might say, like, okay, I, I, I know that, that, that learning more from God's word is important, but my schedule is just so busy. Any of you that have ever been in like an accountability group, like if someone says, you know, how have you been doing with your reading the Bible? And, and, and you say, ah, not, not so well. What, what, what is almost always the excuse? I just was really busy this week. Like, I mean, we just, this, this is how we respond. We have God's word to, uh, to us, and, and I'm just really busy. And we might say, well, they, they might have even said, well, that's great that the apostles are teaching, but I am already really familiar with God's word, and I kind of understand the gist of how Jesus fits into all of it, so I just don't know that I would gain a whole lot from it. Like, I, I'm already aware of, of the things that they would teach or, or what I would get from reading it. And th these are the excuses. These are the things that we might say, the things that we might think, the things that we might believe that would keep us away from God's word. But here we see in, in the book of Acts how they responded. These, these new believers responded. This is, uh, again, in, in verse 42. <clears throat> there we go. In verse 42. And they devoted themselves 
to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Let's go ahead and just make that a point. So that's point number two. They were devoted to God's word. They were devoted to God's word. And I, I just want you to think about even our, our, our cursory understanding of that word devoted. Devoted. Uh, in the Greek, I, I kind of was studying, and it has like, it's a compound word, but kind of the two ideas that are carried in devoted is intensity and duration, right? You're, you're not devoted if you give up when the going gets tough, and you're not devoted if you're not really that interested in it. And so they, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to God's word. Now, I, I again kind of just want to break that down. So what, what did it look like for them to be devoted to God's word? Because we want to use this, again, as a mirror to say, is this how we are? Is is this how I'm relating to God's word? Is this how our church community relates to God's word? And so let's break this down a little bit of what it looked like for this first church to be devoted to God's word. And the first thing we see is that they desired God's word. There is a heartfelt desire, a longing, a hunger to hear more of God's word in relation to Christ. And, and I just want to say this, like they had this desire and it was a desire greater than their desire for how they could have spent their time otherwise. It's not like these were just all rich people that could just be like, well, I'm just going to float along early retirement. I'm just going to, you know, uh, I've got all this free time. They had other things to do. They had other interests. They had other priorities, yet they devoted themselves. They preferred learning from God's word. And we, we see that obviously there in verse 42. Um, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. But there's one thing I want to point out is that uh, the way it's worded is that they are the ones doing the action. We, what we don't see is the apostles saying, hey, you guys better, now that you're Christians, you better come to our, our services. You better be there. We're, we're, we're taking attendance, we're taking role, and you better be there. You don't see moms and dads dragging their kids. You don't see spouses guilting their, their, their husband or their wife into coming. What we see is these, these newly born believers indwelt by the Holy Spirit, new hearts, new minds, they now are devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. This is willful, free. They have chosen to devote themselves. They have a desire. They have a hunger and you say, well, how far did that go? Well, look at it in verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together. I mean, this devotion ran deep. <laughs> this desire ran deep. Like, it wasn't just, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll come to the, the, the weekend service if I can happen to get there. No, day by day, they were attending the temple. That's how hungry they were to hear God's word taught in relation to Christ. This is amazing. They desire it. They hunger for it. And I want to tell you, this is not something that just new believers should have, this desire. It is not just new believers. It is uh, all believers. And I love how Peter puts it, 1 Peter 2, uh, verses 2 and 3. This is what he says. He's speaking to a group of people who have been saved for, for some time, not 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 newborn Christians, but he says, like newborn infants, 
Long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So the, the spiritual milk in context we see actually from chapter 1 of, of 1 Peter that the spiritual milk is talking about the word of God. This thing that has, has brought them to new life. He's saying long for the pure spiritual milk. Is he saying because you're a new Christian? No, he says if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. His point is, if this was good, if this was the thing that brought you unto salvation, that, that, that changed your heart, that changed your mind, that made you a Christian, that made you a follower of God, wouldn't you still long for that? Like, if you have tasted that the Lord is good, that through his word it, it is feeding you with life, wouldn't you want to go back to that? That's what he's saying there. Long for the pure spiritual milk that by you may grow up into salvation. So continue maturing. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. He, he's just making a logical argument here. Like, isn't God's word good? Why would you neglect it? Don't you see your, your, your continual need of it? And then you kind of see the, the intensity. He says, like newborn infants. Like, that's how intense this longing should be. Uh, Hallie and I have had the, the pleasure, by God's grace, of bringing three children into this world so far. And I can tell you something, when a child is hungry for its milk, ain't nobody happy until that kid gets its milk. Like, you can't sleep, you can't talk, you can't think until that kid gets its milk because it longs for it. And it screams and it makes a fuss until it gets what it needs. And I would say it this way, like the world stops until that infant gets its milk. And so I, I want to challenge myself today. I want to challenge you today. Do we desire God's word? Do we long for it as infants? Do we see that we need it not just for salvation back then, not just for a little maturing back then, but each and every day? Just like we would need physical food, we need this spiritual food each and every day. And I would say this, I know we're busy, but, but what if we were more like infants? What if the world stopped until we got our spiritual food because we desired it so much? This was a mark of that first church. They devoted themselves, that is, they preferred it, they, they prioritized it over other things. This is a beautiful picture of devotion to God's word. They wanted more of it. It had brought them to life, and they wanted to keep drinking of that life, Christ being preached in God's word. Okay, so that's the first uh, description of what, what this devotion looks like. But the second thing that I see here, and, and we're going to give much more attention to this next week, uh, but, but I do want to point it out this week. Secondly, they discussed God's word discussed. That's not disgusting, but they discoursed about it. <laughs> you know, uh, they talked about it. They discussed God's word. That is, as a healthy Great Commission community, they did not just hear God's word. They talked about it with one another. And this carried a momentum, a multiplying momentum in their lives. And it's, it's, it's hard to find this overly explicitly in the passage, but I think it is very implicit. Um, I see it acts 242, so we have these keys. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and what comes right after that? 
and the fellowship. So they're learning from the apostles God's word and how it all related to Christ, how it's all fulfilled in Christ, how it is good news for them in Christ. And then they go to fellowship with one another. Are we to imagine that they, when they got together after just hearing these amazing truths about God, that they began to talk with one another about sports and about the weather, and about how their children are doing in school. Like, is, is that what we are to imagine? I, I don't think so, but I think it's actually even more clear in, in verse uh, 46 and 47. So this is, again, explaining what it looked like for them to be devoted to the apostles' teaching in the fellowship. It says, And day by day, attending the temple together, and breaking bread in their homes. Again, you see this learning from the apostles, learning from God's word, then straight into breaking bread in their homes, this fellowship. Then it says, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God. So, so think about this. Was their food just so good that their hearts were just filled with gladness and joy? Like, is that what made them glad? That they had food to eat? I mean, there, there's some gladness there, but that's not what I, what I see here. They receive their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God. So they're attending the temple. They're learning from God's word together. Then they go off and break bread. They, they have meals in one another's homes, and it ends with praising God together. What do you think they were talking about at that meal? I would like to think it's something like my small group was on Friday night. I think they, of course, they had to do it by memory. They couldn't just like pull it up on their iPhone, you know, the verses that the apostles had taught. Um, but, you know, by memory, they, they would say, man, do you, do you remember this part about what Peter says? Like when he said that, it like all of a sudden clicked for me, this reality and this reality. But then the next one would say, yes, I, I love that too. And it made me think about this and this. And then do you remember what, what James said over here? Like, I mean, James said this. And, and like, here's what it made me think about. And the other, like, there's this back and forth. There's this multiplication. There's this stacking up of the glory of God. Seeing things you would not otherwise see. Appreciating things you would not otherwise appreciate to the extent that you uh, are in community. This is what happens when we discuss God's word together. And that's what I see happening in this early church. It wasn't a private thing. Okay, what I've learned from God's word is between me and God. No, they're discussing it with one another. Why? Because they are a Great Commission community. This is all happening together. They're learning from God's word together. Surely they're, they're, they're again, memorizing and meditating on these things. That's, again, how this culture worked. Is, uh, rather than having a copy of God's word, they were, they were good at memorizing. Um, and they would then be able to meditate on that. So, yes. It is important for you and I to be in God's word uh, alone. It's, it's, it's important to have the preaching of God's word. There is power in God's word preached to us. But there is a, another element, a special element, and that is discussing God's word together. This doesn't have to be a formal Bible study. This can be as you break bread in your homes. This can just be as you have conversations. It's, it's how is God's word applying to your real life where, where in God's word are you seeing the beauties? And it just, again, it stacks up, it multiplies, and God brings powerful things through it. And just to show you how powerful it is, this is the next principle. This is 
kind of how, how things are escalating. Not only did they desire God's word, not only did they discuss God's word, but they obeyed God's word. That's our third principle of what it means to be devoted to God's word. They obeyed God's word. They saw this news of, of, of this God and this Savior, Jesus Christ, as so precious that whatever was commanded of them, they were willing to obey. I believe this happened as they continually subjected themselves to God's word. They desired it, so day by day they're in the temple. I believe this happened as they discussed God's word, making one another more and more excited and refining one another uh, in, in the glories of God's revelation in Christ. And because of that, they obeyed God's word. They obey his commands, and they do so gladly. I see this uh, kind of just by comparing. We could do this a lot of different ways, but Acts 2, 44 to 45, this is in our passage. <clears throat> Here's what happened. It says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now you compare that, you say, well, that's interesting that they did that. You compare that with one of Jesus' favorite commands, one of the things that's most repeated uh, from the lips of Jesus, John 13, 34 to 35, Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, is he saying this to his disciples, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And here's our Great Commission community thing. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So as this love happens, as this obedience happens, the world sees, the world says, okay, they're not only followers, there's something real about the way they follow this Christ, something supernatural. But again, we see this commandment. Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. And then in Acts, this, this first church, they're, they're hearing the word of God, they're hearing the commands of God, they're hearing it all in relation to Christ, and they begin selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to any who had need. They are loving one another. And, and I want to mention this too, like as you think about this, when I hear the command to love one another, I can think of a lot easier ways than selling my possessions and distributing them to any who have need. A lot less costly for me. Like when, when we hear love one another, don't we just say, well, isn't it enough that I have warm and fuzzy feelings against them or uh, towards them? Isn't it enough that I'm like not actively being mean to them? <laughs> you know, like we sometimes we'll say that's the bar of love for one another. And, you know, we, we let ourselves off the hook. Or, or they could even say, you know, I just fed them at my dinner table last night. Like, I, I'm not about to give them more. Like, I've done enough. I, I fed them at my table. I'm clear. I, I've showed them love. But that wasn't enough. For this church, they wanted to fully obey the commands of God. And so they go all the way. They, they are selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds. Like, this is painful. This is sacrificial love for one another that they are displaying. And say, well, how could they do that? How could they obey not just the letter of the law, like I feel love, but, but the heart of it? How, how can they obey it sacrificially? I think... Again, as they are understanding the, the word of God in relation to Christ, as they are 
encouraging and motivating and, and exhorting one another as they discussed God's word, I think they, they came to realize a couple of things. John put it this way in 1 John uh, 5, 3. He says, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. In other words, like if you truly love God, you will keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. I think these, these new believers, because they're hearing the word of God preached in relation to Christ, when they would read the commands, they would say, that, that's not a burden. I can, I can do that. You say, well, what would make it not burdensome? There are many reasons, but because I, I got to keep moving today, I'll, I'll show you one of the things Jesus said. Oh, it was in that last slide. One of the things Jesus said, I, I love this. This is one of like my life verses, uh, little passages. John 15, verses 10 and 11, Jesus said to his disciples, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Because they were hearing and memorizing and meditating on God's word in relation to Christ, because they're discussing it and encouraging one another about Christ and his word, because this is leaping to a crescendo of praising God, they recognized that to obey was not to lose. Like, whatever the cost may be, the reward is far greater. It's not burdensome because whatever you lay aside, you know that God will give you so much more in the ways that matter. And so their obedience, they're, they're selling their possessions. Like, it would have probably been nice. It would have probably felt safe. It would have probably felt good to keep those possessions, to keep that stuff for themselves. But they say, I want to abide in his love. I, I want his joy to be in me. I want my joy in Christ to be full. And so th this isn't a burden. This isn't a sacrifice because I'm gaining so much more, both now and for eternity. Why? Because they understood God's word, God's commands, God's promises in relation to Christ. It is Christ that makes obedience doable and beautiful. It's the Holy Spirit that breaks the chains. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us the power. But even mentally, we see it in Christ, what he has accomplished, what he has purchased for me. It makes obedience worthwhile, whether that be the things God has commanded us to do, even when they're difficult, or the things God has commanded us not to do. We are sacrificing nothing when Christ is behind the command. And so, friends, I, I put a couple of questions at the bottom of, of this outline. How can you grow in this area? Just as much as this is an essential for a great commission community, this is essential for each disciple of Christ, that we be devoted to God's word, that we desire it, that we discuss it with others, that we obey. Are, are you seeing that happen in your life? Are, are, are you tasting of, of the pure spiritual milk of the word? Are you growing up in maturity? Is, is that happening in your life? Are you walking in obedience to Christ and doing so with a glad heart? But then I would also ask, and these are things I encourage you to write down like if you have practical areas and, and practical ways to change uh, by God's power but even how can Poplar Springs Baptist Church how can we grow in this area 
How can we be ones more devoted to God's word in relation to Christ? How can we desire it more? How can we discuss it more? How can we encourage one another in obedience more? These are things that, again, I hope in your small groups you'll talk about, but I want to know. I want to know because I want to follow God's vision for the church, and I I know you want the same thing, so be, be thinking about these things. Be praying about these things like this sermon is not to entertain you for 30 minutes. This is God's word. This is God's word in relation to Christ, and it should change us. So how can you grow in this area, and how can we as a community grow in this area? And remember, the implication is we are built up, and God's word goes out. We, we would be like a, a city set upon a hill that is not easily hidden as we let God's word transform us. May God make it so. Let's pray together. Father God, we are, again, uh, just so thankful that you have chosen to reveal yourself to your rebellious creatures. Those whom you have endowed with your image have dishonored you. And yet you have continued to, to reach out to us. And one of the main ways you've done that is through your word. And God, I'm so thankful that today we have 66 books of your word to us and that all of it can be seen in relation to Christ. Thank you that your word is not a list of demands for how we can earn your salvation, for how we can earn your forgiveness, for how we can earn righteousness, but it is a picture of how Christ earned and accomplished all those things on our behalf. And it is a spirit-empowered, Christ-empowered book that can take us from those who live like rebels to those who live like the redeemed. For those who live in praise and worship to you, for those who live our lives in submission to you. So God, would you help us today to desire your word? Would you show us opportunities and, and help us to take the initiative in discussing your word with one another that we can each be encouraged and sharpened, God? And God, would you help us to obey your word no matter what it costs? Help us to see that the reward of you abiding in you, abiding in your love is far greater. God, we want to be these things for your glory. God, we want to be these things so that others may know your glory and your grace. And God, we want to continue to taste and see that you are good. God, I pray you do this through your spirit. In the name of Jesus, amen.